he's got a good word for us through them. So I've asked them to each share a short devotional this morning with us. And I believe Miss Amy Beal is going to go first. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks for the honor of this. It is, it is such an honor to be with you guys. Um, I'm excited about, well, first of all, I'm excited to be here today. Um, because this is just fun. Y'all are fun. Y'all are fun crew. So, um, I'm going to start with, uh, 10 things you won't hear God say. We're going to start with what he won't say first before we talk about what he is, okay? Um, First thing you're not going to hear God say, and this is, um, if you ever want to find this, it's on William Paul Young's blog. He's my favorite author. Check out his book. Anyway, okay, so one thing you won't hear God say, the depth of my affection for you is dependent on you. One thing you won't hear God say is I expect you to do better. You won't hear God say you aren't allowed to participate until you're perfect. You won't hear God say, I would rather you attempt to be holy than to be honest. I, that one hurt me. (laughs) It was like, oh. (laughs) Um, You won't hear God say, you are deafer than my ability to communicate. How many times are we afraid, like, oh, God, did I miss you? Have I missed you? Did I miss you? And we're so focused on missing God that, that that's what we live out of. But he can get to us. Or how much, how often are we, this is just, I know this is for you. Um, how, how much do we want to be somebody else's Holy Ghost? <laughs> because we, we figure they can't hear from God. <laughs> so let me, let me tell you what God's saying. <laughs> um, things you won't hear God say. I only love you because I know your potential. Also one I lived by. You won't hear God say. Shaming is sometimes a good thing. There is no shame in God. You won't hear God say, if you don't say the magic word, my hands are tied. Sorry about that. And you won't hear God say, I don't like being with you when things get messy. In fact, it's kind of the opposite, isn't it? Isn't that when he wants to be with us most? Like when he's like, he likes to get his hands dirty, you know? Um, and last thing you won't hear God say is, I put up with you only because Jesus loves you. <laughs> so I thought those were good. So um, let's open up in prayer, okay? God, we welcome you here today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your presence. God, thank you for wanting to be with us. God, let us hear your heart today. Speak to our hearts. Right now, I release, I release hope into this room. I release freedom into this room. God, have your way here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Miss Deb asked me, what, four weeks ago? She gave me, like, plenty of time. <laughs> if I would share a nugget, and it is a nugget, so I'm mindful of the time. Um, so I was like, okay, sure. Oh yeah, sure. And I just knew God was going to give me something. And one week went by. That's okay. God's going to give me something. Two weeks go by. That's okay. Wednesday. 
I am standing in the front of the fireplace, and I hear, like as clear as a bell, I want you to talk about the art of being loved. And I thought, God, that's a cool title. That had to be you. So, um, so I started putting it all, you know, together. But it wasn't really hard to do because this is a journey that God has had me on for the last seven years. And it started little, but it has intensified since April. It has just been, like, very intense. So um, what could fit into a conference? I'm going to fit into a nugget. Okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess it's so if I start talking really fast towards the end, you'll know what's happening, right? <laughs> um, so what if I said to you these words? You are worthy of being loved. You're worthy of being loved. There's different emotions. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going through this room. Some of you are like, yeah, that's right. I am. It bears witness with you. It sticks with you. Some of you are like, wait, wait, wait is that a trick question? Like, or is that a trick thing? Is it like, because we're sinners saved by grace? You know, like, is that real? And then some of you, something inside you wanted to go, no. And oftentimes when it's a place of deep pain in our lives, a place of deep, uh, deep wound, we react with pushback and we, put, we say no. Um, I remember, for those of you who, who don't know my story, um, my husband and I tried for a very long time to have children. And in fact, 14 years to have children. And um, as time would go and as the journey would go by, we'd get prophecies. You know, you're going to have children. They're going to be, they're going to follow God. They're going to serve God. And most of the time when those prophecies would come, it'd be like, God, thank you. I needed, I needed something to hold on to. But there would be times in that journey when the, the pain of it was really, was really deep. And so when a prophecy would come at that point in time, I, I would push back. Like, I would know it was God, but I didn't want to hear it right then. And, and I'd want to, like, run and sit in my car and, like, just, just scream at the world. But, but it was truth. It was truth being spoken to me. It was the promise of God being spoken to me. But when truth hits pain, when it hits a place of pain, it, there, there's resistance sometimes. And that's okay. God, God knows. It's okay. He's okay with it. He's not offended by our pushback sometimes. But he'll walk us through it, okay? So if that was you this morning, if that statement just was like, mm, it's okay. You're okay. All right. So we're going to look. We're going to take some scriptures and look at that, at that statement. Um, Genesis one twenty six and 27. I, like I said, I have a nugget, so I just wrote it out, and, and I'm reading. So, <laughs> um, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Okay, so... 
Whose image are you created in? Right. When you look in the mirror in the morning, whose image do you see? It got quieter. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> when you look into the mirror, whose image do you see? God's. Right. Um, Psalms 139, 13 through 18. We know this scripture. Most of us know this so well. Like, we've heard it a million times. So I'm going to read it into the mess- in the message version to just kind of give us a fresh pop of it, okay? Oh, yes. You shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you. Hi, God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am wonderfully made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you, the days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Your thoughts, how wonderful, how rare, how beautiful, God. I'll never comprehend them. I couldn't even begin to count them any more than I could count the sand of the sea. Oh, let me rise in the morning and be always with you. David had it. He had it. How marvelous are your works. And like, if, if we were to go around and say that, we would think, oh, she's so arrogant and she's so powerful. But God made you marvelous. You are marvelous. And, um, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. He knew the heart of God. Knew the heart of God for him. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. I just love that. See, anything C.S. Lewis, I love, you know. <laughs> so God made you in his own image, his own likeness. You're beautiful. You're exquisite. Every gray hair on your head, the ones that I cover, <laughs> that need to be covered now, <laughs> they're beautiful to him. Every line, every wrinkle, every, um, every bag under your eye from the sleepless nights that you face every um every uh, um, the moles on your back he doesn't see them as imperfections he sees them as beauty he looks at you and sees beauty um you know we we talk about father god um you know god loves you and he's your father and and I know some some people have not had a good experience with fathers. And so when they hear Father God, they're like, yeah, I can't relate to God as a father. And um, I just want to encourage you in that. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you a story about Rick. Um, he, he had a really rough childhood, really brutal childhood. And so... When um, when people would talk about God the Father, Father God loves you. you know, he knew God loved him. God Creator loved him. But he just couldn't go there with Father God. And uh, 
so so God so sweetly and so lovingly has walked Rick through that place to where now they have a relationship that I am super jealous of like super jealous because (laughs) Rick writes down their conversations and God just like downloads such love into him and such like their conversations are three pages long at lunchtime and and I'm like I got the art of being loved and you got like three pages but um but that's where their relationship is and Rick at this point has no problem with being the beloved son he knows he is the beloved son because that's the healing that God ministered into him and um you know, sometimes you hear uh, about being the bride of Christ. Well, maybe you had a husband that was a rat. Or maybe you were de- demeaned and verbally abused. And so the thought of God as the groom, that doesn't re- resonate with you. But I'm here to tell you, God will meet you where you are. And he'll take you and gently lovingly walk you to where you can where you can be loved by him because you are worthy of love and um and he's not going to leave you left where you are Um, god wants to break through those broken places and reveal to you love that not only transcends those past experiences but heals them john eldridge said um this is long so uh, but, but think for a moment about the millions of tourists who visit ancient sites like the Parthenon, the Colosseum, and the, muse- and the pyramids. Um, though ravaged by time, the elements and vandals through the ages, mere shadows of their former glory, these ruins still inspire. Though fallen, their glory cannot be fully extinguished. There is something at once sad and grand about them, and such we are, abused, neglected, vandalized, fallen. We are still fearful and wonderful. We are, as the theologian put it, glorious ruins. But but we're not buildings, and we're not architectural wonders. We are immortal. And how much more beautiful um, and how much more valuable are we no matter no matter what we've been through, no matter what we've done, whether we think we've done something that could um, could diminish God's love for us? His love is unconditional. There's no one like you. Your DNA has never ever been around before. Your DNA will never be duplicated. So Annie, there will never be another Annie. there will never be another you and (laughs) and god formed you made you exquisitely for a relationship because he wanted you somebody said buchner once said and i wish i had written down the quote but buchner said um that before you were born god was God missed you so much, so he put you on the earth because he just could not live another day without you. Man, that would have been a cool quote to put in there, right? <laughs> John Eldridge also said, um, we just don't think there is anything desirable in us, and yet we want to be desired. 
We were made for glory, for the attention that the Trinity gives each other, and we can't live without it. So, you know, we've, we've been talking about how God um, aches for relationship with you, and he pursues you, and he loves you. Um, and, and I know that a lot of you, uh, especially if you've been in this church, we've heard this, we know this, right? But do we know it? Do we know it to the extent that if we mess up, we don't run from God, we run into his arms? Because it doesn't diminish his love for us. Do we know it to the extent that when we look in the mirror, we don't verbally abuse ourselves? Do we know it to the extent that... So, so, so this is what um, God's been working on me. Um, <laughs> I, I tend to treat people pretty well. You know, I, I've, I would not even think of purposely offending somebody. I... I I love people, like, I just, I love people, but then if I mess up, I go, and I'm like, stupid, what were you thinking? Like, I have no grace for myself if I mess up. I have grace to cover other people, but grace for myself, and, and yet I would never think about treating somebody else like that. So, so, so even though we know something, do you still? Do you really know it? Like, God can get it deeper in us. Um, you know, relationship isn't a one-sided thing. Relationship is two ways. Uh, I heard uh, Chris Bolton is a pastor and a prophet at Bethel, and I heard him talking one time, and he's hilarious. If you ever get a chance to hear him, he's awesome. But he was <laughs> he was giving a prophecy to some lady, and it started out. Like, God was giving it to him, and he just, like, got carried away. <laughs> and so God told him after after he walked, and it was awesome. It was an awesome prophecy. But um, God, God told him when he walked away, he was like, what was that last part there? <laughs> God was like, that wasn't me. That was you. And so so Chris was like, oh, God, what do, what do I do? And God was like, you know what, I'll, I'll cover it. I'm going to cover it because that's what friends do. And that's a two-way, that's a two, no, I'm not saying go around prophesy to people, you're, you know. <laughs> but we, a lot of times we think about our relationship with God as God tells me what to do and I obey. God tells me um, what he needs and I try to get it done. And it's a one-sided thing. But God wants it to be a two-sided thing. Um, I think about, I think about Abraham and um, I just, I used to be really confused about the story of, of Isaac when God told Abraham to take his only son, his son, that was a son of promise, the son that he waited forever for, the son that, um, that his that generations were supposed to come through, were supposed to fill the earth. Um, so supposed to take this son and God tells him go take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him I always like really confused me and I even heard people teach about it from a God was seeing testing Abraham to see if he loved him and um so for those of you who don't know this story uh he does he takes Isaac he takes Isaac to the mountain and he 
goes and he builds an altar and he ties Isaac up and he puts Isaac on the altar and he's about to, to sacrifice him like God has told him to do. And at the last minute, in the nick of time, a ram appears to take Isaac's place and the, they sacrifice the ram instead. This is Old Testament, by the you know, for those of you who are new, um, God doesn't, we don't sacrifice anymore because of Jesus. Thank the Lord. I would cry every day if I had to raise a lamb and then slaughter it. <laughs> but but I've heard, I have heard um, another version of this. Because um, there's many angles and there's many lessons we can learn from this story. But this one um, just, just really resounded with me. Um, God knew that in 3,000 years, 4,000, he was, my timeline, I'm not a historian, however many thousand years, he was going to have to sacrifice his son. He knew he was going to have to sacrifice Jesus, and he wanted somebody to share his pain, somebody to feel what he was feeling. And he made a way of escape for, for Abraham, but he didn't have a way of escape because God knew. And that was the perfect plan, and that was the way he was going to go. But he needed, he needed his friend to feel that with him. Um, some things to know about God. If you're feeling hopeless about a situation, you are believing a lie about God. Because God always leaves, he always leaves a situation full of hope. He always brings hope. Um, his presence is always there to give you hope. So if there's a hopeless situation, what lie, it's a lie that, that's trying to hinder a relationship. Um, God is not serious all the time. <laughs> which is really good. My mom, my parents, when I was a kid, had a, uh, they had a picture on the wall, and it was of Jesus laughing. And, like, people would come over, and this was back in the 80s. I'm dating myself. Um, but people would come over to their house and be like, they were, like, shocked by the picture because in the 80s, Jesus was very meek and very serious all the time. And to see him laughing was just, so I, I, I love that picture. Um, in John 21, 1 through 12, uh, Jesus plays a joke on his disciples. Read it sometime. He's, um, he, he's resurrected. He's already appeared to them after he's been resurrected. <laughs> but they haven't seen him in like two weeks. And they're like waiting around and what do we do? And so they go fishing because they're fishermen, right? So they go out and they go fishing. And <laughs> Jesus appears to them on the beach. But he's like not like they've seen him before. Like they're, he's disguised. <laughs> and he's like, hey guys, how's the fishing going? And they're like, it's not going good. And he says, <laughs> he says, cast the nets on the other side. And so they do, and they pull it up, and it's like overflowing. What's hilarious about that is that's how they met. It was like exactly how they met. And and um, when they when Peter realizes it's Jesus, he like puts his clothes back on because they fish naked, like you do. And <laughs> and he comes he jumps out of the boat and comes swimming and the other guys are like rowing the boat back and so when they get there the other part of the joke is Jesus has a campfire set up and there's fish cooking on it they like so he has a total sense of humor Job 38 and 39 the whole chapters 
are full of God's sarcasm, and it is delicious. <laughs> it is just so delightful. Um, if you're being tormented over hearing the voice of God, it may not be God. So if you're going to your prayer closet and you come out sad and depressed, it wasn't God you were talking to, or at least it wasn't God talking back. So go back in and <laughs> try again. Um, we cannot become joy without seeing and encountering the joy of God. Okay, one last thing and I'm done. And Brenda, I'll give it to you. Um, Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercy never ceases. Great is his faithfulness. His mercy begins afresh every morning. God's love is unconditional and unending. There's nothing that you can do to deserve it. If you are working yourself to the bone trying to earn God's love, you're doing it wrong. And if you think that you can shoo him away, his love never ceases. Um, have you ever been in a relationship with a person and that person has a really low self-esteem and that person is constantly beating themselves up and constantly putting themselves down and, or they're real timid and they don't, like, they don't talk at all? It's really hard to cultivate a strong friendship a person like that. So I wanted today to just give you permission. It's okay to love yourself. God wants you to love yourself. Think about you think about the words of David. I am marvelous. Think about John. We we all laugh at John, but we need to be more like John. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> we need to be more like that. And um so I just, today, just know you are lovely. You're beautiful. The person that you see in the mirror is the image of God. And um, with that, I'm going to close in prayer and turn it over to Brenna. God, thank you. Thank you for creating us marvelously. Thank you for forming us in your image. God, thank you so much for um, your love for us and for wanting to be with us. Thank you for sharing your heart with us. God, we want, we want that friendship where, and that relationship where you're able to share your heart, to share your pain, to share your love, your compassion, to share your laughter. God, play jokes on us. <laughs> and God, I thank you. I thank you that you see us as beautiful. God, forgive us for all of the times that we stand in the mirror and pick ourselves apart. And, and we tell you that you didn't do it right, that you didn't do it um, the way it should have been, that we, because we're not a size four or whatever. God, forgive us. Show us how to love ourselves like you love us so that we can love the world out of a pure, whole, healed heart. In Jesus' name, amen. That was really good. Not really sure how to follow that. <clears throat> I feel like... Uh, 
When she was praying, I remembered something my husband said to me this morning because I, I agonized about what to wear. And uh, I walked out our, our, there's no door between like our vanity sink and our bedroom. My husband was still in bed and I went to the mirror and I went like this. And I believe that the Holy Spirit spoke up through my husband and said, you look fine, woman. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but that was, uh, that was getting me ready for Amy's message. <laughs> well, y'all ready for just one more quick one? Uh, I wanted to open by saying welcome to December, the month where the days are shorter, time moves faster, and you've never had more things to have to do. Have you ever noticed that the more you have to do, the more you have on your plate, the more vulnerable you become to the attack of fear? The more responsibility you take on, the more things on your to-do list, the more opportunity fear has to attach itself to one of those things or two of those things or all of those things. Because the more you have, the saying goes, the more you have to lose. Logically, it seems like the answer to that would be just do fewer things. You only have so many hours a day, you might say. I only have 24 hours a day. I just want to make sure that the things that I do do, that I can commit myself to fully and I can do a better job with fewer things. Logically, that makes sense. But imagine, if you will, that you have set an arbitrary cap on the amount of things you're capable to do. I would submit that that leaves out of the equation your partner in life who is infinitely powerful, infinitely capable, can give you more energy, more time. And if he has a plan for you that adds one more thing above this arbitrary cap that you have set, and you say, no, 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 I couldn't possibly do one more thing. In your desire to avoid stress, you have now avoided your destiny. By the way, stress, the word stress, is our culturally inoculated and safe word for fear. I would encourage you as much as you can to try and remove it from your vocabulary because it's just a catch-all. I'm so stressed today. I'm just, you know what? I'm just stressed out at work and, you know, everything's going to be okay later. I'm just stressed. There is a power to recognizing and calling your fears by their name so that you are prepared to submit them to God and overcome them. If all you have is this vague sense that I'm stressed out, there's, how do you, how do you find your way around that? How do you Submit your request with enough specificity to God that that can get you past them. We'll talk more about that in a second. So that was just an aside. We're so, and I honestly think as a culture, we've become addicted to being stressed out. I think that we, uh, it's almost a badge of honor. 
I'm just so stressed out. I'm so stressed out. Can you believe how stressed out I am? (laughs) It's almost like a humble brag. Oh, look at all the things that I have to do. I'm just so stressed out. I have so many things to do. Uh, Stop it. (laughs) Because this is not God's plan. God's plan is not for you to be attacked by fear with the increase of your responsibilities and obligations. God's plan for you will always take you into more. It'll take you into more things. Uh, You'll be responsible for more. It is his desire to enlarge your territory. And therefore, you will always be susceptible to the attack of fear. You're always going to be taken into more. So, if that's God's plan for our life, is to always give us more responsibility and more things to do, Does God have a plan for how to deal with the attack of fear that's going to happen? Well, I mean, yeah, of course he does. He's God. In Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Peace is God's solution, God's answer to fear. Uh, I am certain that entire books have been written just on Philippians 4, 6 through 9, uh, but I have 15 minutes. So I, I wanted to share with you Uh, the lesson that God showed me in these verses this past week. Because like Amy, I've also had four weeks to do this. And like Amy, (laughs) I had nothing until last weekend. Uh, Last weekend, it was a Friday like any other. I was sitting at my desk at work. And all of a sudden, my brain took a couple of pieces of information and put them together in such a way That it invented a problem. Have you ever done this? There is nothing wrong. Nothing happened to make this problem. It was all an invention in my head. It was a hypothetical situation that's never going to happen. But I immediately, my world shifted on its axis. 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 And I became enclosed in fear. Fear that this thing was going to happen. This completely imaginary problem. And if you know anything about me, if you know anything about me, the one thing you know is that I am not a fearful person. I am bold to the point of recklessness most of the time. And so... (laughs) uh, So it was very strange, number one, for me to be so afraid so rapidly about something that was completely imaginary. And it it took me about 48 hours. I spent 48 hours stuck in this fear, the kind of thing where every 15 minutes, my brain would circle back to it and spend five minutes in a panic spiral until I finally went, stop it, and then moved on. And tried to live my life normally because nobody around me realized that I was afraid. And it was, it was 
so loud and so repetitive. I think I maybe got eight hours of sleep in the 48. It was taking up so much of my brain power that even the voice of my son, my three-year-old Nico, could not penetrate it. It would take him three times to get my attention. And he just wanted me to play with him, and I was sort of half-heartedly doing it because all of my attention was on how afraid I was. So because, because I'm a little slow sometimes, <laughs> I tried for 48 hours to get rid of this fear on my own by sheer determination and willpower. I'm just not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about that. And honestly, there were moments when I was like, God, please help me here. But because I'm a little slow, it took me a while to realize I should probably see what God has to say about peace. So uh, I went to the concordance in the back of my Bible, and I looked up all the scriptures that say peace. Uh, And I ended up here in Philippians. And uh, God is very good to me because what uh, what he has given us in Philippians is a formula to follow for how to access peace. I don't know about you guys, but I like, I like steps. <laughs> I like practical applications. Um, it, it helps me, and, and my God loves me, so he has given me the scripture. Um, the formula is, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's probably the simplest thing we could ever do. You just ask God for help, and that's all you have to do and peace will come. Uh, But I think it's uh, very important that we not gloss over the two most important words in verse 6. They are the words, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If you leave this part out, your prayers, because believe me, in those 48 hours, I was praying, but I was not adding thanksgiving to my prayers. So my prayers were nothing more than worrying with a more pious vocabulary. When we add thanksgiving to our prayers, and if you don't know how to do this, I recommend that you read the Psalms. They are a great blueprint for how to be in the depths of despair and then give thanksgiving to God. You extol his virtues. You remember the things with specificity that he has done for you in the past or done for someone you know in the past You thank him for those things, and then you thank him for what he's going to do for you in the future, because we all know that today is not the end of everything. There is more to come, so you thank him for that too. And what that does, Amy Amy said earlier, that uh, there's no magic word here. You don't have to say, okay, well, I have to say, I have to say thanksgiving, and then peace will come. That's not an abracadabra. The reason these words are in this formula is because thanksgiving shifts your focus from inside you and inside the fear capsule you are in. And it is the only, and it shifts your focus onto God. And thanksgiving, I would submit, is the only thing strong enough to puncture the fear capsule you are in and allow peace to rush in. The peace of God that comes after we have submitted our problems to him with thanksgiving 
is a gift. You cannot earn it. With every gift of heaven, you cannot earn it. There is nothing you can do. You can drink all the chamomile tea in the world, and you can get all the massages you can afford. It will not get you any closer to the peace of God that is a gift of heaven. The only way to access every gift of heaven is by surrender. So just like God's love, which we cannot earn by working, God's peace, we also cannot earn by saying, okay, well, I'm just going to be real calm today. I would say that calmness is not the same thing as the peace of God. So no amount of positive thinking or willpower will get us into peace either. Like in those 48 hours I was afraid, I kept thinking, I'm, I am a strong-minded person. And if all of this, if I know all of this is just in my head, because it's an imaginary problem, remember, I should just be able to be like, all right, that's enough. But you cannot think your way into a peace that surpasses all understanding. By definition, you can't understand it, which means you can't be like, okay, I'm going to understand peace right now. No, by definition, you are not supposed to understand it. Have you noticed that the, for every concept, for every heavenly concept, every heavenly principle that we have, the world, meaning our, our culture and our, our human nature that we're born with, they'll always have some practice outside of the divine that is meant to achieve the same result as a divine principle, um, like peace. This is because... You'll always find this on the outside because every unbeliever, the Bible tells us that God has placed eternity in our hearts, whether we believe in God or we don't. So the world outside will always try to cobble together something that promises the same result, but does not relinquish control. The world wants to stay in control, have its cake, and eat it too. The current worldly answer to peace, I don't know if you guys have seen this, uh, is called mindfulness. And this is a a practice uh, similar to meditation, often goes hand in hand with meditation, uh, where you, you, you take a moment to yourself and you simply allow yourself to be present in your body And all the emotions that you're feeling, all of the things that are happening to you, um, the idea is to allow them to pass by you without reaching any conclusion or making any judgments about them. Uh, And I believe the end goal is to gain you some distance and perspective from the things that you're going through. Uh, But it's a trap. Because when that fear comes back, every 15 minutes for five minutes at a time, you would have to return to that state of mindfulness and allow it to pass you by. And then when it comes back, you'd have to return to that state of mindfulness and allow it to pass you by. And when it comes back, you'd have to return to that state of mindfulness and allow it to pass you by. And now you are a slave to the fear. Retaining control over something, trying to say, okay, well, I'm going to get there, but I'm not going to give up my autonomy and my 
control over it, I'm going to try and do it myself, always guarantees your enslavement to whatever it is you're trying to control. Jesus has come as the Prince of Peace to set us free so that we are not controlled by the return of fear. Uh, Sorry, let me get back to the scriptures. So the second half of verse 7 here, talking about the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, says it will guard your hearts and minds. And I think it's important to note that it doesn't say the peace that passes all understanding will make your problems disappear. It doesn't make them go away. But it will guard your hearts and minds. I had this idea of it as this soundproof, bulletproof chamber that comes down over you because fear is noisy. It'll drown out every other sound, and its goal is to keep you so focused you can't concentrate. That sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. You are so focused on your fear that nothing else can get to you. What peace does is it puts you... it. it pushes the fear far enough back from you and the problems far enough back from you that you will, it will quiet the clamor in your head and shield your heart from the pain and from within this soundproof, bulletproof chamber that you have now attained, you have now been given, you will be able to hear the things that God has been trying to tell you the whole time. In the stillness inside of peace, we are able to hear the still, small voice showing us the next right step to take. And sometimes the answer is quick. You get that peace, and you're like, all right, I'm good. Mine came, um, I did 48 hours of fear, and then I gave it to God and got the peace. The imaginary problem still didn't go away. But two days later, because I was operating from inside the peace of God, my brain took two more pieces of information, put them together, and God said, hey, this is me. This is me telling you that I have a plan for you, and there is more out there for you than you were able to see when you were stuck inside of fear. So sometimes the answer is quick. I am very grateful for quick answers. I am, I am very grateful when I'm called upon to fast and the answer comes before lunch. <laughs> I like to think of myself as a disciplined person, but, uh, and, you know, I think I could keep going, but if he gives me the answer quick, hallelujah. But sometimes we wait for the resolution of our problems for years because there are things we cannot see that have to come into place before that problem can resolve. And sometimes the resolution never comes in this life. If it never comes, peace is the way to live in freedom while you wait upon the Lord.
so once we, and I, I wanted to make sure that we say this, peace is not, peace is not a life hack. It's not a shortcut to get you to your problem faster, get you through your problem faster, because sometimes the problem never goes away. Peace is your base of operations that you can sit inside and it cannot touch you so that you can fulfill the things that God has for you to fulfill without being plagued and tormented by your problems and your fear such that nothing else can penetrate. So if we are now safe from fear inside of peace, which was taking up so much energy and and brain power, the fear was, what do we do with ourselves when peace sets us free? Verse 8 and 9. I'm going to, I put ellipses in mind because it's a long verse. Finally, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about these things. Verse 9 goes on to say, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So inside of peace... There is no room for fear, but there is room for all of these things. And these are the things, the practice of true and honorable, just, lovely, pure, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy things gives peace feet. So that just like love, every gift from heaven is a gift, but it's also a call to action. We are loved, and that's free. We are called to love. Same with peace. We are given peace, and that's free. We are called to take peace. We are shod with the gospel of peace. Practicing these things will allow you to take peace into your world around you. So when you leave today and your to-do list snaps back into place, (laughs) as it will, you're already thinking about it. Remember to walk in these things. Remember that you operate from inside peace and that you are doing, you are thinking of, you are practicing what is true and honorable, just, lovely, pure, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, all of these things. Take them with you when you go. My benediction for you today is Colossians 3, 3.15. Oh, I didn't write it down, but it's, May the peace of Christ be with you wherever you go, and be thankful. Amen.